Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Vish, I know I sound like a weirdo right now. You sounded totally weird. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Creative Control with Vish Comic. That's the American way. That's not how we look at it. We wouldn't blame all Syrians for that one Syrian. We don't blame all Americans for Donald Trump. You should. These hosers just didn't get it. I decided to seek out the man who started this mess. The one Canadian who could shut this whole thing down. Why are you trying to destroy North America? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Clean out your trousers, America, because about to get messy. It's the Daily Show versus Justin Trudeau. The battle for North America. It is way too easy to get from Canada to the U.S. You're letting anyone walk in and just North America was built with people fleeing persecution, um, conflicts, wars, trying to build a better life for themselves and their families. It's too open. It's too free. Mr. JT, I went to customs and they were like, what are you here to do? And I'm like, I am here to roast Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And do you know what the guy said? Have a nice day. (laughs) Yeah. What if I came here to literally roast you? You might find that a little more difficult than you uh, uh, than, than you think. Are you going to kick my ass right now? Are you going to literally roast me? No. Then we're fine. Hassan Minaj is a talented comedian and writer currently based in New York City, having gained acclaim for his web series The Truth with Hassan Minaj and his work as a stand-up comedian and actor. Minaj earned a spot as a senior correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, where he continues to appear with Stewart's replacement, host Trevor Noah. Between September 23rd and 25th, Minaj will appear at Toronto's Royal Theatre as part of the JFL 42 Comedy Festival with his highly successful off-Broadway show, Homecoming King. Here now to discuss some of these things 
is Hassan Minaj. Uh, hello, Hassan. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you. Where are you right now? I am in Minneapolis right now. I am currently on tour. I am doing one of the 32 cities that uh, is part of our tour. So Minneapolis is tomorrow, which is Saturday. And so, uh, yeah, I just I just got into town. Nice. And now I understand that you just got yourself a very hot coffee that you've you very uh, uh, wisely cooled off somehow. Can you explain that process? <laughs> these, these are great groundbreaking questions. Uh, yeah, I uh, I just got some coffee. Well, the thing is, what I, I just like to have just straight up black coffee. Um, but the thing is, when you get it and it's, it's straight out of, you know, like when you have it straight up, sometimes you'll burn your tongue and you'll just like be talking to someone and you're like, ah, and it'll just like spill all over your lips and hands and you get third degree burns. Sure. Um, and I happen to be a decent human being that I just don't want to sue um, coffee companies for money. So I'm like, I usually tell them, I'm like, hey, can you give me some coffee, but can you give me like eight ice cubes? <laughs> sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy, and sometimes people look at me like, oh, dude, I totally get it. You're a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you preface the order by saying, I know this is going to sound weird. So do you have to do this every time? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do do it a lot. <laughs> I I don't know if this is like a good or bad thing, but I've just become totally accustomed to being a complete weirdo. You know when you sit at hit a certain age in life where you're like, no, this is just the way it is. I know how this is going to go. Yeah. So I'm just going to let you know in advance. Like, trust me. I know like this, this works. (laughs) It's smart. I've gone through that. That's a great idea. Yeah. I'll even, you know what, man, you know, I'll, I'll I'll disclose some super secret stuff for, for the show and for the piece, man. (laughs) I will go to restaurants. And if it's a place that I've already been to before, I for example, like let's say I want to go to Baskin Robbins and get some ice cream. Sure. But I was like, I don't want a full scoop. I just don't. I just want like half of that. I just want like a little taste. I will literally pay for an individual scoop, but I'm like, give me half of it. And they look at me like I'm insane. And I'm like, trust me, the money is yours. I'm telling you, BR, the money is yours. Just give me half of it. I don't want to waste the other half. And by waste, I mean I don't want to like eat the whole thing and then feel weird about it. I just want like six bites. So I'm going to get half of a scoop. This is great consumer advocacy you're doing right now. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 No, you've got a whole other thing that you could be doing. I can't wait. Can't wait till you do a whole series on I, yeah, tips. Yeah, I'm wasting, I'm wasting my time doing comedy. <laughs> I, have no, I have no business in this, in this line of work. That's where my real calling is. Now, you might actually be best known in Canada for your one-on-one interview with our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was unbelievable. I call, it was, it was awesome getting to spend time with North America's Obama, uh, or yeah, uh, Canada's Obama. Whoa, but, that, uh, was, that, was, was fun, that, that was pretty birther of you right now. That, that, was a, <laughs> that was an amazing slip of the tongue. Yeah, well, what was that saying, North America's Obama? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, no. No, but you know, for a moment, I actually thought, I was like, wait, no, Canada's North America. What am I talking about? Canada is North America. <laughs> it was awesome. No, it was actually really, really awesome. Uh, he is as handsome as advertised. Um, the dimples are that real. And he's super funny, man. Such a talented dude. It was really, it was really, really fun getting to speak with him. We got to, we got to do stuff. We got to do bits with the sitting prime minister, man. It's awesome. That no, it was great. Did, did anything about the, like you, you mentioned that you knew a little bit about him? You called him, uh, ca- you know, Canada's Obama. Did, did he surprise you in any way? The only thing that surprised surprised me was how incredible 
the twinkle in his eyes were in person. That's what really caught me off guard. I'll be honest, like the first five minutes of the interview, I was like really nervous. I was like, I hope this guy asks me out, man. <laughs> Just like I'm sitting here waiting patiently. No, seriously, like I felt like I was in a Hallmark movie. We were, you know, Parliament Hill is beautiful in Ottawa. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, when I when we when we interviewed him in the li- it was actually in the library. It, it, I felt like I was in Hogwarts. <laughs> That's right. It's got that. Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean. It's like an old-fashioned. It old really library. was magical. Yeah. I mean, and you can see it in the piece. You can see it in the piece. Like it's really, really magical. I don't want to make you jealous, but he and I have embraced. Whoa! Yeah, that's a humble brag. He did a thing where he boxed uh, another like politician for charity. I happened to be in town. I remember reading about this. Yeah, and I happened to be in town after like hours, like one or two in the morning. I ran into him as he was coming to a hotel. And I just screamed at him. He wasn't the prime minister at the time, of course. I screamed, hey, did you win? Yeah. And he said, yeah. And we just naturally approached each other and hugged and screamed and cheered. He's awesome, man. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> well, one of the things I'm lamenting the most about the end of President Obama's term is that I can't recall there ever being a cooler, more affable world leader. I guess maybe Justin Trudeau's next in line. Does Obama come across that yeah, way for I, you? I, uh, well, yeah, I, I got a chance to perform for... Uh, POTUS and FLOTUS at the 75th anniversary of the USO. So me, Judd Apatow, John Stewart, Mike Birbiglia, Jeff Ross, John, and John, Mul- John Mulaney and Kristen Shaw all got to perform for the president, um, the vice president, um, POTUS, FLOTUS, it, the, the four primaries and uh, a bunch of people at Andrews, a bunch of the <clears throat> um, uh, service members at Andrews Air Force Base. And it was awesome. It was so cool. And he's just as charming and charismatic as advertised as well. Yeah, he's he's a, I really I mean, you know, despite what you might think of some of his policies, he's just he's cool. It's very rare to see someone in that. Yeah, position. Yeah. 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 Politics aside, swag is an intangible that you can't teach. And like if you see it on TV and they and it's like that in real life, it's it's mesmerizing, man. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on another... He's the type of dude where I was like, I, I was like, yeah, yeah I, I, please be my friend. Can we hang out later? I got the same thing from Trudeau. I was like, oh, man. He's like, I'll see you around. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Justin. What? <laughs> oh, God, I hope he calls. <laughs> no, it's good for you. That's really nice, actually. Now, the, on the other side of the... Yeah, I'm still waiting on the call, though. I'm still waiting on the call. We're notorious for our, suggesting we might call Americans, and then we kind of don't. It's, uh, it's a oh, okay. bad situation, <laughs> okay. actually. Now, how would you describe what Donald Trump's campaign is doing to your country now and beyond that, what you imagine its long-term impact on civility and decorum might be. Have you thought about this at all, Hassan? Totally. You know what my biggest fear is? Whether he wins or not, I think he's unleashed the Kraken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just like they've talked, they talk about this theme in Harry Potter where, you know, when Voldemort returns, you actually like physically don't see him and what he does until later in the series, but he's unleashed the Death Eaters. He's legitimized sort of what I think, you know, are really, really evil characteristics, extreme nationalism, xenophobia, racism, sexism, and he's legitimized them on the largest stage possible. That's really scary. One of my biggest fears, this is not like the honest fear that I have as an immigrant is, what if we're at the downfall section of America's Wikipedia page, but we don't realize it yet. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh. You're. I think you're right. I think you're right. Right? You don't know. You're just living your life. If you're, if you're just like, hey, am I having a stroke? Dude, you're having a stroke. It's too late. <laughs> like, you don't see it coming. That's the thing that's so scary about history. 
all these things are happening in real time, and we're just living our life as if they won't be inside of a history book with major, major, major world ramifications later. We don't think like that. We're just like, yeah, this is just my life. I'm talking to you on a cell phone, and it's 2016. You don't, you don't see it coming. Blockbuster yeah. never saw Netflix coming. <laughs> Blockbuster was just chilling, <laughs> right? That's an interesting and then crawler. One day, yes. it, maybe, maybe a kid was like, hey, listen, we got to start streaming. The CEO of Blockbuster was like, what the hell are you talking about, Billy? There are no rivers or streams here. And we all know how that story ended. <laughs> you mentioned that he offends you. I think you mentioned, uh, I think you were sort of intimating he offends you as a citizen of your country. Does he offend you personally? Look, I mean, our election cycle, in contrast to what it's like in Canada, your guys' election cycle is what? It's less than 70 days, right? Something like that, yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing, man. Mm-hmm. There are literally television shows that have long yeah there are network television shows have longer runs at 22 episodes than your guys's election cycle which i think is great um the, the, look i i think in regards to my personal feelings and i, I don't care about that like that screw my feelings what, what i really care about is look like what 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 is the impact that this is going to have on the democratic process and is it going to divide our country even further that's what I'm most concerned about, because a disenfranchised base of people that feel sort of separate from one another, that's a that's a problem. Yeah. You know, and so and, and that's what I'm most worried about. Well, in terms of holding to holding him to account, The Daily Show did a segment recently suggesting Trump behaves a lot like a comedian, which is a point that I've raised with people on this show as well, that it, it's hard to belittle sure. a belittler. Do you think Trump is impervious to criticism? I mean, we criticize him and we fact check him. It doesn't seem to diminish anything in terms of his momentum i i think to him it's look he's a narcissist he has a very dangerous combination where i was like i wonder if he's dumb or if he's racist like is it one or the other Mm -hmm. and i think he's both those things um and uh you know he's an incredible narcissist but i do believe that he has he has a certain level of emotional intelligence not iq but eq and to him he was like hey i believe in myself let's throw the hail mary and let's try to win the presidency, even if I come up short, hey, man, at least I'll get one hell of a book deal out of it. Right. And I think that's the way he's looking at the whole situation. Is this like, hey, best case scenario, I become the president of the United States of America. <laughs> yeah. Worst case scenario, man, my book and television deal is ready to go. You can't lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does seem very tactful. That's, that way. That's, that's, that's the thing that really bothers me. He's just you know, building his, situation. yeah, he's treating this as a brand exercise. Yeah, because they asked him, what are you going to do after this election? Uh, and he was like, well, if I lose, I'm going to go on a very long vacation. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. That's exactly what civic servants do. You know, <laughs> they run for office and then they get tired and they go, you know where I, where I need to go? Turks and Caicos. <laughs> now you're, the Daily Show. I really earned it. Yeah, exactly. The Daily, yeah. the Daily Show had really made its mark uh, a few years ago, I think, by criticizing other media outlets holding corruption of all kinds, political, social, intellectual corruption, holding that all to account. Has the sensibility of the show shifted much, in your opinion, since Jon Stewart left? You know, to me, that's more, you know, that's a, a Trevor Noah question. Because every person who helms the desk, that's, they bring their voice to the table. And, and Trevor is, he is adding his voice to the chapter that is The Daily Show. We had it with Kilbourne, we had it with Stewart, now we have it with, with Trevor. Yeah. Um, my job as a correspondent is, I'm an ensemble player on this really, really fun political satire show. That's what my job is. And so I add my sort of 
take and perspective on things. What's been really fun is I've gotten a tremendous amount of, you know, runway room and Trevor's given all of us correspondents such freedom to come in and pitch ideas and talk about what's really, really important to us. Yeah. And do you have a perspective on why he is facing the criticism for the job he's doing that he is? It seems more intense than I, I expected it to be. I think I think it's it's like anything. It's like, hey, you're the new guy. Uh, we miss the old guy. But to me, I, the thing that I think people fail to realize, and this, this has happened to every talk show host who takes the desk that was previously helmed by another person. Mm-hmm. They did this to Fallon. They did it to Conan. They've done it to, they've done it to Leno. They did it to everybody. So to me, it's just like, look, I know him from before, when he was just a contributor and correspondent on the show to when he was the host. He's one of the most talented, charismatic, charming comedians working in the world and so i don't think it's a fluke that he's there um and so i i really 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 have been amazed i, I watch and i'm amazed by how quickly he has really found his rhythm and i i really i really really thought we as a show and trevor as a host really we really turned a corner as a group coming out of the DNC and the RNC. That was awesome. It was I, so fun. I agree. I, I agree. There's something about it that, obviously, that's the fodder for the show. Like, that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I've read you... Uh, sure. I've, read, I've read your quotes about working with Jon Stewart. You're very effusive about him. You, you refer to him as, like, a comedy Yoda. And, 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 and that's... Yeah. That's, and I, I, that's the impression I've gotten from others who've, who've worked with him. Does, does John ever interact directly with the show anymore? John has come on, and he's done segments on the show if you saw with the, the droga bill he came on yeah um with the worst responders but uh but yeah no john with john his advice has always been really really yoda-esque he, he's always just said you know move towards your discomforts talk about the things that people aren't willing to talk about right yeah and do the show that you feel needs to be done and that's that's all we're trying to do that's all we're trying to do. Right. Well, speaking of your discomforts, I want to get into Homecoming King a little bit here. And I, I think maybe sure. the, the best place yeah. the best place to start maybe is to ask you where you actually grew up. I grew up in Davis, California, a small town in Northern California. You know, just uh, fields and sadness. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> I, you know, the, whole, the, the, the premise of the show to me for Homecoming King, it, it's like, to me, it, it is the, uh, the first generation American experience. But to me, it's almost like a Brown John Hughes film where it's a love story between me and, and America and uh, the first girl that I fell in love with in America. And, and um, it follows this sort of love story um, where we talk about, you know, race, politics, privilege, forgiveness, all of these sort of like hot button issues through the personal narrative. And it's broken up into four acts that follow uh, different stories from my life. You know, as a as a kid who was brown growing up and and trying to deal with discomfort and racism, I often cope. Yeah. I I use comedy to cope with it, but I often, in retrospect, I really pandered to white people, to white kids. Uh, I tried to uh-huh. belittle myself a little bit. Did you go through any stages like that? Absolutely, absolutely. Look, when you grow up, and especially when you are like a minority in a majority culture, a lot of times what you're just trying to do is you're you're trying to fit in. And to me, one of the things I talk about in the show is. Uh, white, just the idea of like being white just means it's means you're being accepted. 
and it means less people are going to ask you questions. Yeah. If you're playing the video game called Life, if Life was a video game and you press the start button at the beginning, when you're when you're picking an avatar, the white avatars ask the least amount of questions. I want to be Batman. Well, of course, Bruce Wayne is white. I want to be president. Uh, duh. You know, 43 and a half presidents <laughs> have been white. Yeah. Uh, all of these things aren't, you know, questions that are really asked. And I think it's what makes any sort of minority story where you make it in the mainstream, at, whether it's as a president, a politician, a musician, or an artist, it makes it so amazing. Because at every conceivable level, at some point, whether you're Jackie Robinson, Barack Obama, Russell Peters, whoever, it was always like, you're, who are you? Your name is what? You're trying to do that? I don't think so. You have to keep beating these levels. And um, to me, one of the things that I sort of talk about in the show is my journey through all of that yeah. and what that was like. And what's interesting is that I come at it from a point of empathy. It's not here to say, hey, uh, yeah, look, I'm acknowledging there's some systemic problems within our country. But at the same time, I believe there's a tremendous amount of potential within all human beings for empathy, forgiveness, and love. So yeah, I think there is a problem with systemic racism, but I do think that there's that there's really, really amazing people out there on both sides, white, black, brown, and and everything in between, that are allies for justice and good. The, the the show itself has received a lot of acclaim. It was sold out. Did anything about the feedback you got from from patrons or critics? Did anything about its reception surprise you? What amazes me, man, is that so many people, regardless of race, gender, creed, or class, they can just identify with the story, with the stories in the show. Um, and the whole crux of the show talks about this girl that I had fallen in love with when I was a senior in high school. Her name is, her name was Bethany Reed and we were in Calc together and we had this like secret love romance thing, you know, and I would sneak out of my house to go to her place and vice versa and all these things. She's my first kiss. Hmm. And, um, she was in my AP Calc class and our Calc teacher made it mandatory for everyone to go to prom. And like three days before prom, she asks me, I sneak out of my house. I like bike over to her place. I ring the doorbell and this other guy, Jeff Burke, is putting a corsage on Bethany's wrist. And her, her mom, Mrs. Reed, was like, oh, my God, honey, like, we think you're great. We love you. We think you're awesome. But, you know, we're just going to be taking a lot of photos tonight. We have a lot of family back home in Nebraska. So oh. we just don't think it'd be a good fit. Hmm. You know, do you, you know, do you need a ride home? And the whole crux, the, the whole show is centered around this idea of this doorstep moment of, you know, what will other people think? We don't think it'd be a good fit. That's what we call it in our culture. What will people think? And yeah. it's centered around this idea of what will people think? What will others think? And what are the ramifications of fear when human beings have that towards each other? And yeah, look, it's this personal story about what happened to a young brown boy in high school. But to me, it's ex I extrapolate to talk about it further. Hey, look, oh, boo-hoo, Hasan Minaj couldn't go to prom with Bethany Reed. But the real question we should ask ourselves is, hey, in the wake of Orlando and San Bernardino and Donald Trump and Charlie, could 2016 Hassan Minaj go to prom with Bethany Reed? I don't know. Yeah. And furthermore, what are the ramifications of that? How do we change that? What ended up happening to Hassan? What ended up happening to Bethany? What ended up happening to Mrs. Reed? Do people have the potential to change? even if the systems that they grow up within are extremely rigid and don't necessarily, aren't always accepting of said change. 
Well, it sounds very provocative. I can't wait to see this this show, and I, I congratulate you on it. Uh, I might ask, what's next for you? So we are currently touring it in over 30 cities around the world. And uh, in, in January, I'm going to make a very special announcement. I can't say it just yet, but there'll be a really, really special announcement regarding the show. And, uh, and, then, and then hopefully uh, I'll, I'll be continuing this fight through November to make sure a crazy orange man doesn't become the president of the United States of America. <laughs> well, good luck with that fight, and congratulations. I, I, look forward, I look forward to the January announcement. I want to tell people listening, once again, Hassan Minaj is a senior correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and he'll be performing his acclaimed off-Broadway show, Homecoming King, between September 23rd and 25th at Toronto's Royal Theatre as part of the JFL42 Comedy Festival. For more information about this, please visit jfl42.com. HassanMinaj.com, which is H-A-S-A-N-M-I-N-H-A-J.com, and follow him on Twitter at Hassan Minaj. Uh, Hassan, is there a bit from your past, a comedy bit that's available for people? Is there something I can play for people that gives them a sense of maybe your perspective on life? I would love for you, if you could, pull up my Congressional Correspondence Dinner and take any of the jokes from that. Really? That was the... uh, yeah, the White House Correspondence Center. It's on YouTube. You YouTube my name. It's the first thing that comes up. And it was this, like, you know how, like, Larry Wilmore did the White House Correspondence Center? I'm very, I did f- I'm very familiar. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. This, yeah, this, I did that for Congress. Yeah. This made quite the, uh, this made the head, this made the news, frankly. What, why does that stick out for you? Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it's about gun control. So I, I think, and, you know, it was one of those things where, especially in regards to gun control in the United States of America, it, it is a congressional, it is really a congressional issue. Every state, every state has different uh, legis- legislation when it comes to uh, common sense gun control and how easy it is to have a gun. Uh, so, to me, it was a really rare opportunity where I actually got to talk to the actual legislators that control the legislation on that issue, which is such a hot button issue in America. And so, yeah, I would I would share that. Um, yeah, it's a fearless thing. I thank you for doing that, and I'm going to play the whole thing. What the hell? Thank you, Hassan, for being on this show, and uh, best Thanks. of luck with everything. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Hassan Minaj. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Wow, thank you. One more time for Mr. John Kasich. Everybody, give it up for him, right? Wow. I mean, John, we, we have so much in common. You know, we're both from small towns. People can't pronounce our names. And neither of us will ever become president. It is amazing. No, 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 you guys, you guys it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's, it's, it's great because John, you are a rational, sane, even keel, well thought out, seasoned politician. And you thought you could be the G- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. P.O.P. nominee. You crazy, John. You crazy, man. You crazy for this one, Jay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Hassan Minaj. It is such an honor to be speaking at the Correspondence Dinner that nobody cares about. Wow. I mean... Tonight is definitive proof that we all definitely haven't made it. <laughs> Last year's speaker was Asif Manvi. Uh, so thank you so much, RTCA, for going back-to-back -back with your Browns. You guys are killing it. I love it. Next year's event, Malala, Syrian refugees, hosting it. I like that. Yeah, Malala. Tonight's event is brought to you by C-SPAN. C-SPAN, yes. Yes, to the eight people not watching, C-SPAN is now in HD, which is great. So now you can see all that legislation not getting passed in 1080p. All the wrinkles and inefficiency, just, oh, so crisp. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting here at the eve of the 2016 presidential election, where we, the American people, get to vote for who we hate the least. And right now, statistically, it looks like Hillary Clinton should win. That's about right. That is about right. That is the right response Hillary Clinton generally gets. Hillary Clinton is like the broccoli of presidential choices. You know what I mean? Where the Clinton camp is like, trust us, she's good for you. We're like, all right. Like, Hillary Clinton is like the Toyota Camry of presidential options. Like, if you were on The Price is Right, and they presented you with a Hillary, it'd get the same response as a Camry. Just dun 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 You're like, oh, oh no. I already had one in the 90s. No. Bernie Sanders shook things up this year, right, Bernie? Great, Wall Street in the building, that's cool. Um, I like Bernie though, Bernie was, Bernie was like America's cool substitute teacher, right? Like he came in, he's like, everybody's getting pizza! And we were all like, hell yes! I've been waiting for pizza! And then Hillary's like the regular teacher and she's like, hey, who's paying for the pizza? And we're like, shut up Mrs. C, the cool sub says we get pizza! And she's like, what, no, no, I'm cool. I whip, I nay-nay, we're like, stop it, Mrs. C, stop pandering. And then Donald Trump is like, Mexico's paying for the pizza. And then dumb people are like, oh yeah, other country, pay for my pizza, that makes sense. What? No, this is great, because like the Republican Party is here. What? Like, how is, how? Like, how is 86% of the GOP like, yes, racist Cheeto, finally. Like, I have yet, I live, in, I live in a liberal bubble, so I have yet to meet a Trump supporter. I mean, I did meet Paul Ryan three weeks ago, but, you know, people change. And 
usually, I'll see people in the street, I go, this guy looks kind of Trumpy. And I'll go, hey, man, who are you voting for? And they'll go, whoa, hey, whoa, hey. I don't like to talk about politics. And that dude's voting for Trump. That dude is definitely voting for Donald Trump. I don't like to talk about politics is the new I'm not racist, but. <laughs> like, everybody's been asking the question, how did he get so far? How did he do it? And really, the answer has been underneath our nose this entire time. If you've seen the hit film Back to the Future 2, the character Biff is based on Donald Trump. This is real. 1989, Robert Zemeckis wrote the character Biff based on Donald Trump. Watch the movie, Orange Skin, Casino. He's trying to kill Michael J. Fox. This is real. And if that is true, we're in the wrong alternate timeline right now, you guys. And everybody's asking, yo, where is credentials? No, where is the sports almanac? No wonder this guy has gotten so far. He already knows who's going to win the NBA Finals. Sorry, it won't be the Cavs. I'm sorry, Mr. Kasich. <laughs> Donald Trump is an amazing professional wrestler. That's not a joke, no. He was inducted into the 2013 WWE Hall of Fame. This is not a joke. He clotheslined Vince McMahon. He shaved his head on stage. And I gotta say, he was an incredible wrestler. And I used to make fun of my cousin Sahil because he still thinks wrestling is real. And in 2016, we live in a world where Jesse Ventura became governor of Minnesota, Hulk Hogan took down Gawker, and Donald Trump could become president of the United States of America. And I'm just here to say, Sahil, you were right. <laughs> Wrestling is real. <laughs> Politics is fake. I just, I just got to come to grips with the fact that I'm sorry that I'm, I'm coming off as nervous. Um, it's because uh, brown people, we're going to get deported. So really, <laughs> this is just my farewell tour. I'm saying goodbye to America. I got to do all my American stuff now. Like, I got to go to Costco for the last time. I got to get knocked out at a Trump rally. I got to do everything that makes this country great. There is a sliver of hope. There is a sliver. Barack Obama just recently endorsed Hillary Clinton. And I got to say, the media, you guys have had this double standard with Hillary. Just because she's a woman, you guys always go after, oh, she's too shrill. She's too serious. She dresses like she works at P.F. Chang's. And that's not fair. Because you know you wouldn't do that to Bernie. If Hillary dressed like Bernie, everyone would be like, hey, why is the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2 running for president? What is going on? And the reality of the situation is, is Hillary is the dude in the relationship, and we don't know how to feel about it. We're all in bed with Hillary late at night, and we're looking at her cell phone, and we're like, hey, hey, who's Wall Street? And she's like, don't worry about it, babe. It's just a friend from work. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually insulting to say that Hillary Clinton is a dude. Her accomplishments are bigger than gender. 
bigger than gender. Look at what she's done in her life. In 1974, did you know this? In 1974, she was on the inquiry staff to impeach President Nixon. She was doing that in her 20s. I was listening to Ja Rule in my 20s. She was impeaching presidents in her 20s. She wrote the Magna Carta in 1215. She invented the telephone with Alexander Graham Bell. This is all real information. It's on a server that you can never see. It is all real. So of course, she is gonna run for president. And if anything, she is gonna become president off of just sheer desire alone. She wants it more than any presidential candidate in history. Hillary Clinton wants to be president so bad, she's willing to sit in the same office Not a different office, not a replica scandal office, the scene of the crime. Now look, we've all been cheated on. Clap if you've been cheated on. Clap if you've been cheated on. Those of you guys not clapping, you've been cheated on. I was cheated on my senior year of high school, Janice Malo, I hope you're watching this. She cheated on me. She worked at Cinnabon at the mall. And to this day, I cannot walk through a food court without bawling. I'll just break down and cry. And Hillary Clinton is like, I want to manage Cinnabon corporate. <laughs> so what do you do when you get cheated on? I cry and listen to Coldplay. Hillary Clinton runs for president of the United States of America. Wow, indeed. So say what you will about Claire Underwood, but she has her eyes on the Iron Throne, and she is saying, come to mama. And at this point... She is waiting for someone to tie a bunch of balloons to the back of Bernie's chair so he just floats away. That's what she's waiting for. But enough talking about presidents, we're here to talk about Congress. It's so mean of me to talk about a job that you guys will never have. I mean, oh, 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 every member of Congress wants to be president. Let's be real. There's a senator named Sheldon Whitehouse. That is the most ambitious name for a title you will never have. That's like my name being Hassan, head of Homeland Security. It's just not happening. No. Let's just, let's be real. Everybody here in the media, they're hard on Congress. They're hard on you guys. They say you're a do-nothing Congress, but you guys do a lot. You guys do, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You guys uh, go to fundraisers. You guys host fundraisers. You have your staff set up fundraisers for you to host. That's three things right there, and that doesn't even include all the time you spent trying to repeal Obamacare or not passing gun control. That's five things you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people at home don't know this, but your average member of Congress has to raise $18,000 a day just for their party. And it's incredible. For as much time as Congress spends denying poor people money, you guys sure as hell spend a whole lot of time begging for it. Don't worry, these jokes are for your donors at home, it's fine. You know, when I was in the third grade, my teacher, Miss Anderson, gave us this assignment. She said, write a letter to your local member of Congress asking what you'd like to change. And like a dummy, I wrote that letter. But what she meant was, is you're supposed to write that letter in the memo section of a signed check. Silly rabbit, 
Letters are for Santa. Checks are for Congress. <laughs> of course, I, you, maybe things just won't change because Congress's approval rating is 12%. 12%. That's not even one star on Yelp. There are restaurants with rat infestations that are rated better than Congress. That means 12%. That means 88% of people hate your guts. Like if you were in a mall and 10 people walk past you, eight of them would hate your guts and the ninth dude hates you most of the time. 12%. Like if you were a cell phone, you would just be unusable. Maybe things won't change because you guys are just old. Like... Your average member in Senate is 62 years old. My dad is 62. Like, you can't pass legislation when you can barely pass a bowel movement. You can't. I'm I'm amazed Capitol Hill still has steps. It should just be ramps at this point. Now, ultimately, we're here to talk about the media, which covers the do-nothing Congress. And here, as a fake journalist, I just want to give a shout-out to other fake journalists CNN is here tonight. <laughs> no, 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 CNN's cool, but what exactly do you guys do? Like, every time I turn, I turn on CNN, every time I turn on CNN, Wolf Blitzer is talking to a hologram, Don Lemon is hosting a panel on whether or not we should use the N-word, and then Anthony Bourdain is eating couscous. What do you guys do? You guys are basically Bravo with plane crashes. I don't know what you do. CNN doesn't like subtlety, though. Have you seen the headlines? It's just 100-point font, all caps. You guys write your headlines the way my dad writes his emails. (laughs) Plane crash, many injured, Hassan come home. What? (laughs) Vice News isn't here tonight. I like Vice News, though. Vice News is cool because they'll just send your local barista to go talk to the head of ISIS. It's incredible. (laughs) You'll be like, why is Chad sitting down with Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? <laughs> MSNBC is here tonight. MSNBC is cool, but you guys are like, everybody's annoying vegan friend. It's like, we get it, you're right. I just don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> you guys are always like, I'm telling you, it'll make sense in 10 years. It's like, not now, Rachel. I'm trying to enjoy myself. <laughs> I actually like MSNBC. They do the actual news. I just don't want you guys to end up like Al Jazeera America. Too soon? No, no, no. When the ratings for Al Jazeera America came out, C-SPAN was high-fiving. They're like, yes! Three more viewers. I was interviewed once on Al Jazeera America, and I actually had to hold the boom mic while they interviewed me. Now, people ask all the time, did the media create Trump? And yes, you guys did. Donald Trump phones in his interviews to meet the press. And I don't mean like he doesn't try during his interviews. He literally calls in the way you and I order pizza. He's like, yeah, large pepperoni, no olives. Don't send the Mexican. That's the way he does his interviews. The New York Times, the Washington Post, they don't call him a racist. They say his comments are racially tinged. No, I'm racially tinged. That dude is racist. Straight up. The Huffington Post. 
You guys know the Huffington Post? You know the, the place where your Uber driver can write an article? The Huffington Post has a disclaimer on their website calling him a racist. BuzzFeed refuses to take money from the GOP or Donald Trump. You know BuzzFeed, the place that tells you which Disney princess you are? They have more journalistic integrity than the New York Times. And for the record, I'm a Jasmine, you guys are all Cruella DeVille. <laughs> Ultimately, at the end of the day, I just hope that love overcomes fear. Don't you guys? Like, I just hope that's what ends up winning. And Fox News has taught me that. <laughs> Fox News is incredible because I've never seen so many people with spray tans hate people of color. You guys are incredible, Fox News. And you guys are in New York, where I'm based out of. The enemy walks amongst us. And we're only five blocks away from each other. Daily Show Fox News. And every morning, I have to watch you guys. It's the same thing. Kill them. Bomb them. Stab them. USA. 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 And I have to walk past you guys during lunch. And I'll see all these Fox News employees leave their building, cross the street, walk past me, and then line up for halal chicken and rice. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, racist Randy just wants that red sauce. I love it. I love that your brain can be racist. Your body will just betray you. I love that. I love that all morning they're just like, uh, Mexicans, all lives matter, Arabs, 1201. Sure, my time. I love that so much. I, I, um, I, I don't even know how to pivot here, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> you know, um, what we saw in Orlando was one of the ugliest cocktails of the problems that we still see here in America. A cocktail of homophobia, xenophobia, lack of access to mental health care, and sheer lack of political will. And um, all of us satirists, we've all been yelling out, crying out for change. But the sad reality is that we are all complicit in what happened. Um, every day in our workplaces, in our homes, in our religious institutions, there is covert or overt discrimination, or phobia towards people of different religious, racial, or sexual walks of life. And we just sit there and we let it happen because it doesn't affect our bottom line. Oh, I, I didn't say it, Hassan. I don't think it's that way. They said it, okay? It's not that simple, Hassan. And we just go on with our lives because it didn't affect our status quo. And the sad reality is stuff like this is going to continue to happen unless we recognize that civil liberties are an all-or-nothing game. A rising tide lifts all boats. It's not pick or choose. So whether you like it or not, we all have to step up and fight for each other. Otherwise, the whole thing is a sham. And until we do that, hijabis are going to get harassed in the streets. Members from the trans community are going to be demonized for using the bathroom. And my brothers and sisters in the African-American community, their spines are going to continue to get shattered in the back of paddy wagons until we stand up and say something. And the thing that hurts me the most is, I wish I would have done more.
to my brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community in every marginalized community, I'm sorry I didn't do more. And the same goes for Congress. You know, we look to you guys as our leaders. You make almost $200,000 a year to write rules to make our society better. Not tweet, not tell us about your thoughts and prayers, to write rules to make our society better. And ultimately, it comes down to money and influence. And right now, since 1998, the NRA has given $3.7 million to Congress. There are 294 sitting members of Congress that have accepted contributions from the NRA, and that doesn't even include the millions of dollars from outside lobbying. So before I get up here in my liberal bubble and I ask for gun control and universal background checks and banning assault rifles, we got to be able to have the conversation. And right now, specifically Congress, has blocked legislation for the CDC to study gun-related violence. We can't even talk about the issue with real statistics and facts. So I don't know if this is like a Kickstarter thing, but if $3.7 million can buy political influence to take lives, if we raise $4 million, would you guys take that to save lives? I, I don't know. Ultimately, I just got to ask you this. Look, when I got into comedy, when you guys got into media, and when you guys got into politics, we wanted to do the best work we could possibly do. And is, is this what you want your legacy to be? That you were a could-have-done-something Congress, but you didn't because of outside lobbying? That you were complicit in the deaths of thousands of Americans? And look, I, I know being a member of Congress is hard. You got to placate your base. You got to look out for re-election. You got to answer to lobbyists. But please persevere because our thoughts and prayers are with you. Good night. An unbelievable speech by Hassan Minaj at a correspondence dinner in America. He's railing against the U.S. Congress and members of the media. They're all in front of him. You know, you, you heard the thing. You can go to YouTube and watch this whole thing, and you can see people's reactions to it and, and see his performance. But you heard it there. Remarkable performance. Thank you, Hassan, for doing that. Thanks for being on the show. And again, if you uh, enjoyed what you heard there and, uh, and you never heard of Hassan Minaj, look out for him. Look out for his one-man show, Homecoming King, coming to a town near you. And also look out for him on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah because he is someone to look out for. Really unbelievable. Thank you once again, Hassan Minaj. Now, this show, Creative Control of Ishkana, is 280 or so episodes old now. And I just want to say it would not be possible without some sponsors. The Bookshelf. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario, where I live. They are a bookstore. They are they're a movie theater. They're a music venue. They're a restaurant. They do everything. They just do lots of stuff. I think I forgot one of the things they do, but I'm on a roll and I'm not going to go back. They just do a lot of stuff. For more information about The Bookshelf, which, as I say, independently owned business, to learn about their hours, their listings, blogs, directions, accessibility, and to order books from their online store from anywhere in the world, please visit bookshelf.ca. If you're in Guelph, come to see them, 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Also, Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. 
You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or uh, online at trocaderoguelph.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. Pizza Trocadero is excellent. I highly recommend it. Come to Guelph for the books and the movies and the pizza. It's a wonderful town, so do that. Hey, I'm on the road. I'm on the road, and I'm in uh, Montreal. I'm at Pop Montreal to do a couple of live interview conversation things to make it easy for you to remember this they're all on the same day september 24th in the year 2016 i will be at the pop box which is a venue in montreal and at one o'clock i will be interviewing annette peacock who was a collaborator of paul blay and is noted for being the first person to ever process the human voice through a moog synthesizer and use it in performance. She's had a remarkable career, amazing records. Very excited to speak with Annette Peacock in Montreal on September 24th at 1 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, just a little, like right after that, I'm going to get into a conversation with the musician Jeff Elise Barbara. The, the, the title of that talk is Intersectionality and I, and we're going to talk about different forms of oppression that are at work simultaneously within the context of music as a social practice and as a commodity. Jeff is very interesting. Again, both talks September 24th at the Pop Box as part of Pop Montreal. Come out to that. If all goes well, I will document these and you'll hear them on the show, but uh, don't let that stop you from coming out and seeing the things live coming up to me and saying hello. I will also be at the Halifax Pop Explosion in October. I think around the 20th of October. I will tell you more about that as uh, information becomes available. But that's it. I'm on the road. Lots of stuff going on. Thank you for listening to the show. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.